we know that control of the Senate is at stake. It's going to come down to the wire, I think. And remember, Georgia, you got to get to 50%. So there's likely, possibly, but likely a runoff. Two years ago, the state of Georgia helped determine the presidency in one of the closest elections in recent memory. Today, we hear from one of the most respected journalists there on the ground as a Georgia legend prepares to square off against a political heavyweight. Here from Ballard Studios, it's 13th and Park. The future doesn't belong to the same party. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. We will make America strong again. We will get through this together. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Tia Mitchell is the Washington bureau chief for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a frequent commentator on national cable news, MSNBC, CNN, a host of others, and for many years worked for Jacksonville's Times Union and the Tampa Bay Times in the state of Florida. Mitchell, whose work was recently heralded by the Washington Press Club Foundation in her coverage of government and politics, is best known to Justin and I and many others for those incredible song and dance skits that she she put together <laughs> in the Tallahassee Press Corps for many years in the state capitol and our home state. Tia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. And I'm glad that my press skit skills, <laughs> um, you know, have me living in infamy. Great to have you with us. Uh, it's fascinating to you because you've had the pleasure and the professional experience of working, I think, in one of the most interesting political states in Florida. And now uh, Florida is not getting really as much coverage in terms of the races that we have nationally. And a lot of the focus is in the state that you're in, Georgia. So we're delighted to have you. And of course, there are two big races uh, in the state, both the U.S. Senate race and the governor's race. Let's start off with the Senate race. You've got the incumbent U.S. Senator, uh, Raphael Warnock, against Herschel Walker, who's the Republican challenger in that race. This race has been a roller coaster for those of us around the country that have been following it. Uh, And obviously, there was a recent debate between those two candidates. What's your assessment as we come to the very round the bend, as they say in horse racing, what's your assessment now of where the race stands and what impact uh, the national economy is going to have on the the outcome of that race versus other issues like abortion? Yes, I think the Senate race in Georgia is going to be close. I do think Senator Warnock, the incumbent right now, is considered, you know, having a little bit of an edge, but nowhere near where he or his supporters could feel comfortable uh, Herschel Walker is within striking range. Um, Herschel Walker is a Georgia hero. I, mm. you know, it's so hard to get people to understand the brand that Herschel Walker has in Georgia. Um, the closest maybe in Florida is like if Tim Tebow went on to be like a Super Bowl winning quarterback, in addition to like all the successes he had in college. Maybe then Florida could understand what Herschel Walker means in Georgia, which makes him already just like a very strong candidate. Then he had 
the backing of former President Donald Trump. And that made him very, you know, that made him untouchable in the primary. And then within the backdrop of dissatisfaction with President Joe Biden, his approval ratings are down. As we know, economy inflation is at the top of mind for voters at the AJC. We've done formal polling and just some informal surveys and talking to residents and all voters from both sides of the aisle cite the economy, economic issues, pocketbook issues, rising prices as the number one issue this election season. And as a result, Republicans are getting more of a look because when you ask voters which party they think will do better at addressing these issues, they usually say Republicans. And so that has also helped keep Republicans in the race, particularly in the Senate race that comes, you know, I've talked about Herschel Walker's strengths, but Herschel Walker has a lot of weaknesses too, a lot of controversies, misstatements, Mm -hmm. falsely describing his resume, falsely saying he graduated from college, falsely saying he's a law enforcement officer, possibly paying for an abortion while being anti-abortion. But that being said, Republicans are still in the mix because voters are saying, we think on the economic issues, perhaps Democrats who have been in the majority haven't done so well. And we know that control of the Senate is at stake. It's going to come down to the wire, I think. And remember, Georgia, you got to get to 50 percent. So there's likely, possibly, but likely a runoff because there is a libertarian candidate that could get, you know, three or four percentage points. And that runoff would take place in January? No, new rules under Georgia's new election law, Senate Bill 202. One of the things that Republican lawmakers didn't like was that Ossoff and Warnock had nine weeks to win those runoffs in 2021. So they changed the runoff calendar among the many other changes. Um, so that runoff will now be in four weeks in December, the, se- the first Tuesday in December. Well, it's really the second Tuesday in December. Well, you're saying that the state of Georgia may continue on well past November 8th in the national focus in what could be the one race at that moment that will determine control in the U.S. Senate. So listening to you, in a way, Tia, there's a referendum on the president and the economy on the one side. You might say there's also a referendum on Herschel Walker because a lot of the focus in this race has been on Herschel Walker. But there's a third leg to the stool, and I think you know where I'm going. Herschel Walker, obviously All-American, one of the greatest uh, athletic legends ever in the state, much less the University of Georgia. I remember him on the bobsled team, for instance. I mean, he just seemed to do it all. But there's a big game coming up. And I'm not trying to trivialize this because I really think this is a factor. The University of Georgia and Tennessee most likely will be unbeaten, both of them, going into the final Saturday before the election. Unbeaten powers. Both of them will be ranked in the top three or four in the country with national title implications which Georgia is very familiar with, uh, very much in play. Could that game, could the result of that game actually have some bearing on a 50-50 race like Herschel Walker versus Warnock? So two things. Number one, the runoff is December 6th, so it is the first Tuesday in um, December. As far as the UGA-Tennessee game, it's going to be huge. (laughs) Like I already, I see people trying to get tickets and they're spending, you know, almost $1,000 trying to get into the stadium for that game. 
That being said, UGA is already a big political pool. Today, Warnock is having a Dogs for Warnock event. (laughs) So it's going to be every candidate is going to be at that game because the game's in Athens, right? I believe so. I think so, too. So, you know, every candidate is going to be there um, because UGA is such a big influence. It's not like Florida where, like, you could be a Seminoles fan, but you also might be a Gators fan or you might be a Hurricane fan. And, like, the Hurricane fans aren't really checking if, like, someone's, like, a big, look, Justin, you know, it's like, <laughs> and it's like, if you're a fan of if one of them, you, you're you not really checking for, like, who the fans of the other are checking for. In right. Georgia, you're a UGA fan, period. <laughs> you know, it's like Georgia Tech doesn't have the same pool as UGA. Georgia State doesn't have the same pool as UGA. So it's like you're UGA. It's a very different dynamic one I had to learn when I moved to Georgia. So all the candidates are like trying very hard to like, they, they're going to games, they're campaigning at the games. That being said, early voting started in Georgia Monday. So, and you know, by the time this podcast comes out, we're talking a week ago, record turnout with early voting. A lot of people by that game will have likely already voted a lot of people by that game will have likely already made up their minds about Warnock or Walker, Kemp and Abrams. Bennett, keep it himself, runs it right up the middle. Bennett inside Auburn territory. Bennett inside 25. He may be able to go inside the five. Touchdown, Georgia. Oh, my. Well, yeah, Tia, I was going to ask you about the governor's race. And that's obviously a, a, a matchup. It's a rematch from the 2018 contest. And at that time, Stacey Abrams was kind of hailed as a kind of a newcomer, a rising star in the Democratic Party, uh, the organizing that she did, and really, I think, opened a lot of eyes around the country about the changing nature of the demographics and the constituency in Georgia. Uh, that it wasn't necessarily a bright red state as it once was. And obviously we saw what happened in 2020 with the two Senate races. So the conventional wisdom is, is that she's not as competitive this year in 2022 as she was in 2018. So two questions. One, is that your assessment as well? And two, what's changed? There was a lot of energy around Stacey Abrams, particularly among Democrats, you know, her effort to become the first black female governor of any state. Fast forward four years, that dynamic's not really for either candidate. Everyone knows who Brian Kemp is. And now he has a record of which to run on. And that record is very strong in certain ways that appeal, number one, to conservatives. He was able to keep even MAGA conservatives in his corner, despite the fact that he ticked off former President Trump, but he is no moderate by any stretch of the imagination. But he also has done things that do have a brighter appeal, such as, you know, reopening the state during the pandemic in ways that many people feel paid off economically for the state, using COVID relief dollars, federal dollars that quite frankly, came from Democrats with a lot of Republican opposition. But Brian Kemp has used them to, you know, give 
teachers raises and boosts law enforcement and send checks to everyday Georgians. So he's done some very populist things as well. He suspended the gas tax when gas prices started going up this summer. So in a lot of ways, he has a record that, that has made his reelection campaign strong. For Stacey Abrams, I think the she's a known entity now too. So she just doesn't have that newcomer excitement factor. And you can argue, I would like to argue that there were Black people who maybe are more conservative, but wanted to give Abrams a chance in 2018. But now again, with an incumbent that they like in office, they might not be willing to cross back over the way they were in 2018. It doesn't necessarily mean that like she's done something wrong or all of a sudden Black people are abandoning her. The factors are different in this race after four years. How do those same factors play into the Senate race between Warnock and Walker? And just so everyone understands, as you do, Tia, in the state of Georgia today, the Republicans hold uh, pretty comfortable margins in both the state Senate and the state House and every statewide elected position, correct? That's why 2020 with the election uh, state positions. That's why the election of two Democrats to the U.S. Senate was so transformational and so revealing of the discussion we're having about the changing nature of demographics in the state. Right. And when I think about the map, like you mentioned, DeKalb County, DeKalb County is heavily Democratic. But in counties like Gwinnett County, which 10 years ago was solid red, now it's solid blue. Gwinnett County is a heavily immigrant rich county. That's a county that Republicans are hoping to make inroads to pull back some of that shift to Democrats. Five years ago, Cobb County was red. Now it's shifting blue. And then you, again, you go to the next ring out. Counties like Forsyth County um, are becoming bluer. They're not necessarily blue counties, but becoming bluer in ways that they used to be reliably Republican-leaning counties. Now, on the Senate race, I do think that Herschel Walker, the one debate he had with Senator Warnock, he was very well prepared. A lot of Warnock's um, supporters have been mad at me for saying that, but it's true. He was well prepared. I'm not saying he did a great job. I'm not saying he's the great debater, but there was a low bar and he surpassed the low bar by being well prepared. Some people who were looking for a reason, like, I don't know about Herschel Walker. I want to support him, but give me something to make me feel good about casting a vote for him, I think the debate might have given them that. That being said, Raphael Warnock has a lot going for him. He has a record to run on. He can talk about being bipartisan in Washington and working with Republicans. He can talk about the things he's backed and why he thinks they're good for Georgia. He also is literally like, he is the pastor of the church that used to be Martin Luther King's pulpit, you know what I mean? Like, and he has this kind of, you know, pastorly morality around him that resonates with people when they want someone who they can feel good about and feel like this is a good person that is representing us. One of the things that happened after the so-called Stop the Steal uh, after 2020 was the Senate bill uh, that you mentioned earlier that passed uh, in the Georgia legislature signed by Governor Kemp. And there's a, the all-star game, I believe, was moved out of Atlanta as a result yeah. of that legislation passing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm curious, as we, we're now kind of just, you know, not too far away from Election Day and where people are, are voting, casting ballots, what 
will the journalists at your news organization be looking at to assess uh, whether that law uh, is having any impact on people's ability to vote? Because obviously there was a ton of back and forth criticism of the law, defense of the law. And for those of us outside the state, it's it's hard to figure out what the reality is. Is it as bad as the critics say it was, or was it as good or innocuous as the proponents said it was? We, the AJC, asked the authors of the law, why are you doing this? What is the justification? What did you see in how the 2020 general election and the 2021 runoffs were done that justified these changes? And they never got a good answer. So we got to start there. Republicans did these changes because Democrats were winning, and we can't ignore that. That being said, these changes are subtle, and the changes aren't, again, likely to have an overwhelming you know, impact, but that really wasn't the intent. But the, the changes are the changes, and they do matter. How difficult is it for you and other members of the press and media to be able to convey information to voters that they are desperately seeking to make an informed decision in this kind of hyper atmosphere? How difficult is your job in doing that without, you know, getting the the scorn, the you know, or the praise of partisans who are looking for any edge they can get in the definition of the races before them? Me as a journalist, I try to focus on being fair, being accurate, uh, treating all of my sources, regardless of what party they come from, with respect and and also to tell the truth. It's important for people at home to really be critical of where they consume their news and information and make sure you're getting it from places that are reliable. That doesn't mean you're always going to agree. My job is not to change anyone's mind. My job is to give people good information so they can have an informed opinion. Last question from Justin, because you know, I know where I'm going at the end of this. I'm going to ask for your allegiance when it comes to the Florida-Georgia football games, but we'll, we'll, we'll put that off for Justin to bring it in for a landing. I'm not going to ask the question of which state she likes more, Florida or Georgia, because we know the answer to that. <laughs> right. Actually, I'm not going to ask any question. I'll just make a comment. Uh, but the last thing you just said, Tia, was that uh, my view is it's very important for your news organization and others to do exactly what you're doing to explain the process uh, behind your reporting and how you uh, go about your, the business of journalism at your news organization. I noticed the New York Times does the same thing. When I read their articles online, they have little info boxes that explain how they report and what they do and the process behind it. And building trust, in my view, for uh, trustworthy news organizations is the best way to fight misinformation because most people just want to know the truth. And if they don't trust the Atlanta Journal-Constitution or they don't trust the New York Times, they're going to go looking for it somewhere else. So the best thing that news organizations can do can take those actions to build trust, to build transparency in their news reporting so that people can trust them and they'll stop trusting these other sources of news. So that's my comment. Wasn't a question, but I just wanted to uh, (laughs) say kudos to you and your news organization for doing that. Thank you. And I will say D.C. is my home now, but Georgia is where I work. It's very much I consider it, you know, my home base for now. But and I'm not originally from Florida. Everybody thinks I am. 
because Florida is so near and dear to me. It's my second home. Jacksonville in particular is my second home. I feel like Jacksonville raised me. I'm headed there this weekend. So um, I'm not going to pick between Florida and Georgia, but I will say go Jaguars. Oh, good okay. for you. Just see, who says that members of the press and media can't be political also? That was a great political answer. Tia Mitchell, Washington uh, Bureau Chief for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and again, one of the authors of some of the greatest songs and skits in Tallahassee Press Corps history, which will be for another show. Thank you for joining us. Good luck in the election ahead. You provide such an incredibly valuable resource for voters. Keep doing it the way you did it in Florida for the people of Georgia, because in that fashion, everyone's well served. Thanks for being on the show. Vying for your vote? The first black senator to represent the state of Georgia, Democrat Raphael Warnock. You sent me back to the Senate. You have my word. I will keep fighting. Working to defeat him? Businessman and Heisman Trophy winner, Republican Herschel Walker. They have no doubt we have problems in this country. Who do you trust in Washington? Every word these men say tonight matters. We got some great insights there from Tia. And uh, after listening to that uh, that clip, uh, she even noted it herself. She said, it's hard to explain to people that Herschel Walker was like a cult hero oh, yeah. uh, there in Georgia for his star performances as a football player for the University of Georgia. And clearly there's a lot of goodwill there. We've seen athletes uh, run uh, for office in, in other states. And so this is not a, a new phenomenon, but certainly it's something that is happening for the first time that I can recall in the state of Georgia. You have multiple referendums in a way. You have the referendum on the Biden administration slash the economy. You have a referendum, you might say, on the Dobbs decision. You also have a referendum on on Herschel Walker, more so than on Raphael Warnock. Uh, And I think the jury's out on that. And timing's everything, right? So when the latest news came out about Herschel having to do with abortion, had that happened a week after the election versus three to four weeks out from election, different ball game in terms of the vote. Because bottom line, I think the theory a lot of people have is in the cool of night, people in terms of voting vote their self-interest. And because the economy is so front and center now, that is kind of fighting with the news that's been generated against Herschel, who would be, I think it would be fair to say, just in a reliable vote for the Republican caucus in the Senate. That's the duel here, the two dueling referendums. I don't know how it turns out. It's fascinating because the news cycles happen so quickly. There's a shorter life cycle now than ever before to any of these particular controversies or issues. I think that's happened with the abortion issue, with the overturn of Roe versus Wade, with the Dobbs decision. I think whoever the person was that leaked that uh, decision to the press uh, actually helped Republicans because it got the news of that decision, that monumental landmark decision, earlier in the election cycle and further away from election day to your point that you just made about the revelations about Herschel Walker happening before the election rather than close to the election. So it's interesting how short the life cycles are of these little controversies and issues along the way in the campaign. The governor's race and a lot of the key swing states for the U.S. Senate situation are pivotal. And it looks like if you look at all the polls of and over the last many months, that camp is in relatively good position there. Even Tia said that her expectation is that might be called very close to the close of the polls on election night, as opposed to the U.S. Senate campaign. That's 
could go on for a while. And imagine what that means, what it means in terms of the 2020 election that caused such furor and rancor uh, in and around Atlanta, how that might be fanned all over again. And then you have all the description in this interview based on your question dealing with voting reform and how that may impact uh, the final result and how that may further fan the flames of dissension among those who end up on the short end of the electoral stick. Yeah, it's really interesting. We talked about Stacey Agrams and her relative weakness compared to her strength in 2018. And then, you know, Tia made a really interesting point about Herschel Walker. I think she used the phrase, you know, some people holding their nose because they may not think that he uh, is the right person necessarily, but they want to make a statement uh, in opposition to the Biden agenda. And I think that uh, the Abrams race now and the Herschel Walker race now are flip sides of a coin in the sense that in 2018, one of the things Abrams had in her favor was opposition to the President Trump and the Trump agenda. And I think that same energy, believe it or not, is helping Herschel Walker opposition to the Democrats' control of Washington and opposition to the, the Biden agenda, which explains her weakness this time around and Herschel's strength. And I think that that would probably be one of the reasons why if Herschel Walker does win, a win because of people not necessarily voting for him, uh, but voting against uh, the Democrats' unified control of Washington. It's interesting she talked about the debate and how Herschel exceeded expectations, the, the bar being set fairly low, I think, against uh, Raphael Warnock, who is very polished as a, as a performer, as an orator. Um, that, I thought, was interesting. But as a media guy... There's no question what I would suggest the Walker campaign do going into November 5th, which is that pivotal game between Tennessee and Georgia. I would do the ultimate locker room chat from Herschel Walker to the people of Georgia. I would produce something for social media where he gives everybody a shot in the arm that this is a moment not just about winning and losing, but about putting everything we have out there on the line. And Herschel Walker, given his history with the Bulldogs, probably could deliver that better than anyone. Anyway, another great episode, and we look forward to continuing this conversation, trying to figure out before it becomes obvious winners and losers in the midterms. <laughs>